Good. Well, here it is, 9.31 almost, so let's get going. Let's open with prayer first, because I need it if none of you do. <laughs> let's pray. Father, uh, we're, we're really quite speechless at the scope and the depth of your gracious purposes, um, choosing us before time, um, creating us as you did with, with your purposes in mind, um, providing even for our sin and rebellion uh, through through the Lamb, the Lamb of God, and all so that you could be the both just and the justifier of those who believe in Him. So we pause just to to try to grasp that for a moment, and to praise you and thank you for it. Um, it is beyond beyond wonder that we live in such a world that's full of the glory of God, full of your grace. Uh, so we ask your help just now to, uh, to look into your word, to see who you are, who we are, and to begin to get, begin to get a grasp on your calling for our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so, the, the, title, the title of the book, the subtitle, really, the subtitle is what throws me, okay, uh, instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, or instruments in the Redeemer's hands. People in need of change, helping people in need of change. And uh, yeah, I'm. I, I think there's been a, a kind of a uh, a recognition by by James and Blake that they, you know, and that I have to echo that that I'm not fit for this, and I can. You know, I can look at that subtitle and say, uh, formally say, yeah, okay, that's what God has in mind for me. But uh, <clears throat> to really get it ingrained to say, yeah, that I understand that and I can participate in that, that that's a hurdle for me. And it's, uh, so this book, the, the, one of the reasons I'm kind of, enthusiastic, perhaps over-enthusiastic <clears throat> about this book is that it helps, helps, and this is the second time I've been through it, it helps me crystallize more and more how this body life can help people in need of change. Okay, so, and we're all in need of change. <laughs> that That's kind of the the echo, the reverberation 
of the whole Bible, really, that, that there's been a great disaster and God is moving us toward uh, uh, the making all things new and in between uh, is, is kind of a constant process of change. Now, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this lesson, I really want to have time to put before you kind of the crystallization of what I've seen in Genesis, our study in Genesis, men's Bible study, uh, along those lines. It fits in real well with this. <clears throat> um, so, this chapter is um, chapter 3, Do We Really Need Help? Okay, uh, and interestingly enough, if you look at the if you look at the uh, facilitator's guide for this study, this is where it starts. It starts with chapter 3. It doesn't start with chapter 1 or 2, although they try to pull in some material. I, I don't know why that is, but uh, <clears throat> because chapter 1 and 2 has been really great for laying the groundwork. Uh, this is kind of a continuation of laying the groundwork. It, it, for, for anyone who's not convinced... <laughs> uh, of the answer to this question, um, the, the, um, this is a chapter for you. Now, at one level, we, we all know we all know we need to change. Okay, uh, you. Um, I don't know if you, you share this this uh, observation, but um, serial shows. Uh, crime shows, comedy shows, t- you know, TV shows. One of the really aggravating f- things about them is the absolute lack, uh, zero character development. When I was <clears throat> when I was uh, being taught in grade school and high school literature, uh, character development was one of the big things in there. Okay. But you don't find any of that in in television shows. I don't, anyway. Maybe I'm just not very observant. <clears throat> well, what God wants to put before us, and what I think really great literature reflects, and certainly the Bible reflects, is that we are in need of character development. We're in need of change. And in fact, that people do change, <clears throat> you know. They, they, either, they either grow more and more rebellious against God and His law, or by God's grace, they grow more and more uh, um, to, to bow the knee to the Lord God, to acknowledge the creature and creator distinction. Okay? So that's what we're... So, so at one level, we all know this. We all need, know we need to change. Um, just to go further, this uh, uh, do we really need help kind of implies kind of an internal inspection. Do I need help, the individual? Okay, but, but if you read through this chapter that Tripp wrote, it, it's, a, it's a bigger question. Do we really need the help of God? Do we really need the help of others, other believers, that is? And should we view ourselves as needing to be within 
a community of needy helpers. Okay, that's kind of an awkward sentence. But um, it's, it, it, those, those are the kinds of questions that he really deals with in here. It's not just the individual needing help. Um, and and I, I would add one more to that. He, he also tries to uh, help us understand in here, even from the illustrations right at the front of the chapter, uh, that the helper needs help in helping. Okay? Okay. Um, okay, so that's the question. Do we really need help? He tries to answer in here, give the scripture's answer to that, okay? And uh, the scripture's answer to that is found in the layers, I would say, of, of how it presents human nature, how it describes human nature. Um, <clears throat> And he uses he uses the kind of the, the theological superstructure of creation, fall, redemption. Okay, uh, and and I think it's very helpful. It may not be the most complete way of looking at things. And uh, if you look at how he deals with creation, you want to say, oh, and there's this too that says this is this describes human nature as well, but. He, he picks out the things that are to his point, okay? Uh, I added consummation not because, not because um, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on it. We're not going to spend hardly any time on it, but I wanted to add it just because <clears throat> I tend to want, <laughs> you know, I tend to, I want to clarify that when we talk about redemption, at least in this sense, not necessarily in a, a, a larger theological sense, but in this sense of how he uses it in this book, redemption is as, as the life that, that's lived now. Titus 2.12 talks about uh, living life in the present age and what that's like, how God deals with us, okay? Which is something that, or, or Schaefer says, you know, he wrote a whole book, How Should We Then Live?, Okay, uh, we need to know how to live in this life. Um, so I, I added that one to clarify, to make kind of a distinction, to note also that the, the eschaton is not yet come, but it is coming. I mean, ti- again, Titus 2, uh, 12 and 13 makes that point, waiting for the hope, waiting for Christ. And also to point out that we a part of living life now is that we anchor our, our hope in uh, what is to come. First uh, Peter 2, I think, 13. Uh, uh, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. <clears throat> uh, and to indicate, too, the ways in which the not yet is already you know, we keep having that discussion. Um, we, uh, there's a certain sense that things that, we, things that will be completed are, are already kind of in seed form in us. Um, 
So I added that, and that probably will be the last <laughs> you see of it. Uh, notice that uh, our eternal nature, it's, it's already explained to us. I think it's in John, 1 John, I think it's chapter 3, that when we see him, okay, we will be like him. Now, if that doesn't want to, I mean, goodness, if that doesn't make you want to fall on the floor, I don't know what will. I can't imagine anything greater. We, we focus on a lot of things about heaven. That's certainly, that's certainly one of the biggest things, isn't it? When we see him, we will be like him. And we, I should just stop right now. Okay, but we're not. Because um, I think James would have a, a lot of ground to cover next time if we did. <laughs> okay, so. Um, okay, so let's look at some scriptures. Um, so we have creation, how God created us. Fall, how the fall changed us. Redemption, how our, uh, our nature as God's redeemed. All of those, in all of those areas, we want to see, do we really need help? What's the Bible's answer in those areas? So we want to look at a few passages. In uh, <clears throat> uh, Genesis, of course, chapter 1, a few verses there. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, and it really it goes on, but I won't go on. I'll just kind of point out some things. <clears throat> I'm going to read this. <clears throat> then God said, okay, so we're in the sixth day, I think it is. Uh, uh, God has said uh, he, he's um, made, he's had successive days, uh, successive works of creation. And we come to this one. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, and I take that to be the, a, a discussion a proclamation within the tr Godhead, the Trinity. <clears throat> and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, <clears throat> over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his, in his own image. <clears throat> in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it goes on. He, he goes on talking to them. Okay. Um, what makes this, and this is a question I want some feedback on, what makes this different than the previous acts of creation. Now, there's a lot of things that make this different. What makes this different? What are some of these things? Okay, image. I'm making you in my. Uh, I'm making man, male and female, uh, in my image. Okay, what else?
He tells them what they have to do. Now, in the in previous one, it said, he, he, he said, let there be, and there was. But he doesn't speak to the trees or the mountains or the seas. Okay? What else? Males and females. Okay. And there's a lot of things in here that we won't get into, okay? But that's one of them, yes. And I take, I take that to be a, ref, a, a reflection of the triune God. It's a pair, it's, a, it's two, but it reflects the multiplicity within the triune God, okay? Okay, so... God, God speaks to them. That's the one thing that he, uh, Trip wants to rest on. Um, God speaks to them. What if he hadn't? What if he hadn't said this? Uh, what if he hadn't spoken to them? Right. There's a lot of things in here that we wouldn't really know. Uh, um, and we'll get into this more. Uh, but he's, you know, he, he's telling them about their dominion. Why, how would they know their dominion? You know, they might have just taken their dominion because they have that advantage over creation. Um, okay, so we'll we'll let that rest for a moment. Uh, go on to Genesis two. And look at verse, I'm sorry, excuse me, I'm speaking into my microphone. The, uh, verse 15, Genesis two fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for... In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then he goes on uh, through, you know, in the sequence that leads up to the creation of Eve. Uh, you know, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit. Uh, and then he brings creatures to man to name them. Okay. Um, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. But for Adam, there was not found a helper. And then he creates Eve, and he brings, he brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, let me go back to verse 15. What if God had not commanded Moses, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Adam? What if he had not issued this command to him? Okay, I might have to have you explain that. I hadn't thought of putting it that way. Okay, it's purpose-driven. And the purpose in this case, this line around the tree. Yeah, okay. And, and you know, I would, I would also suggest that 
and again, this is not my suggestion, but I'm stealing it. I'll tell you later if somebody wants to know where I got it from. Uh, in a way, this could be taken as a test, you know, to, to so, I mean, one, one way this could have worked out is that they would know the joy of obeying God in this matter, Okay? This was an opportunity for them to bow the knee to God on this matter. Okay, that didn't happen, we know. Okay, but that 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 was one of the possibilities. Uh, what about the naming? Well, well, okay. Back on the command, of course, God's giving them information. He's not he's not commanding the tree to do this or that. He's giving man, though, information, okay? Uh, the naming is, is a way of us kind of, you know, making sense, and we still try to, we still do that. We have a whole, whole scientific endeavors toward naming things, okay? Um, and they're quite overwhelming. What about the exclamation in verse 23? How do you take that exclamation? Is it is there some kind of emotive part? Part of it is an emotive exclamation, you know. Upon realization, I mean, intellectually, he's realizing something. He's making connections, you know. He's God is God has said it's not good that men be alone. Okay. And he had his own, I mean, I could spend time on that one. I think it had to do with the, the reflection of the Trinity but and the lack of relation of kind, okay? So he brings Eve to him, and he's making this connection, okay? And he's, it's, it's bringing joy to him. This is at last, this is at last you know, okay? Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and he named me. <laughs> he names her. Uh, I think our, our wives are glad we don't still have that responsibility to name them. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with the the name I've got for my wife. Okay, and I didn't give it to her. Okay, so. He, he draws from this three, three things. And you can, I, I, I think you could probably quibble about how well you can draw these things out of, of this, but I think some of it's there, at least. And, and it's very important. You know, every time, every time I dive into Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I'm just amazed. You just cannot, you cannot hit bottom on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There's always, there's a great wealth there. And I, I encourage you to, to spend a lot of time with these because it, it, it establishes things that carry on through the whole of Scripture, okay? Uh, so remember, we're still in creation, Genesis 1 and 2. So he draws three things out of that. One is that we're revelation receivers. We, in fact, we have a need for revelation. We, we're given communicative abilities 
to hear God's word, to understand it, and to apply it so, so that we could know God and understand him. Uh, I think the whole business about the command about the tree was a way of us knowing God and understanding him. Okay? Uh, and again, this is unique in God's creation. Uh, the trees don't need to be told to, to praise God. They, their, their arms are lifted, <laughs> you know, if you will. That's how they're created. Uh, we're told to... Uh, uh, we're told things as human beings were dependent on God's sp- word spoken into our lives. Okay, so we're revelation receivers. Uh, also part of our, cre- our created nature is that we're interpreters. I think this comes out especially in uh, uh, more clearly in the naming sequences, naming the animals, naming Eve. Um, but I think it comes out prior to that too, is when we hear God speak to us, we interpret what he says. We have to. You know, we're not posts that God is speaking to. We're, we're, we're hearers, thinkers. We organize, interpret, explain things. We, we have explanations for things around us. He has a lot of good uh, illustrations of that in his book. Uh, even uh, we explain ourselves. We explain what's going on inside of us. The, the counselor and, and people you run into that you, you have opportunity to have input into their lives, they have explanations for their inner life, okay? Uh, The world around us, situations, relationships, and we're doing this more or less constantly, okay? Even if we're not aware of it. And again, this is unique in God's creative works. Uh, uh, he, He makes the case that our interpretation shapes our emotions uh, uh, certainly, I mean, certainly for the Christian, uh, if if there's a certain kind of rational joy that flows out of what we know, then then that's a case for this. Okay, it's it's our our joy is 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 produced by what we know. Okay. Okay, and, and Paul tells us rejoice. Okay. Uh, and I've seen, you know, I've seen rejoicing in non-believers. They rejoice in the the knowledge that evolution gives them. They rejoice. I see. I've seen one unbeliever. I, sorry, I take her to be an unbeliever. Who rejoiced in the knowledge of her pastor's explanation of of the. The, the loaves and the fishes story, that it was, it was uh, m- these people just bringing out food and sharing it, okay? She rejoiced in that. Why? Be- because her, 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 most, her highest ideal was the goodness of human, the human being, okay? Okay? And... I rejoice in it because, because we have a Savior who, who cares for people and multiplies the bread and the fishes. OK? 
okay? Two different worldviews, two different responses. Uh, it shapes our emotions, it shapes our identity. Who are we, you know? And identity is a big thing in our culture, isn't it? That's why we need to make sure of our identity in Christ, okay? Uh, it, it shapes our view of others, our view of solutions to problems, our problems, others' problems, sometimes in ways that are in our fallen nature are not good. Uh, it shapes the way we receive counsel. Are we willing to receive the counsel of one another? Okay? We're dependent on God's word to interpret accurately. Okay, three, we're created as worshipers. Um, God created us to draw our meaning and purpose from the person, presence, and purpose of God. Okay, so they were in communion with God in the garden. Uh, to be Godward ref- referent, okay? The motivational core of our lives, okay? Some central love commands our allegiance and our behavior, okay? That's still true, okay? There's going to be a love that commands what you do, the words that come out of your mouth, even the things you feel, okay? What's that love going to be? That's the trick, isn't it? Uh, to whom, and I, uh, I'm sorry, somebody's going to catch me on my grammar here. It's like I couldn't figure out whether it should be who or whom. To whom or what are we going to bend our knee to defer to, to uh, in humility, in obedience? Okay. And now notice that's, that's between us and God, but then God, the God-man Jesus also says, I, I command you to love in the same way I command uh, uh, I loved you. So I laid down my life. I'm going to lay down my life for you. John 15. Okay. Uh, the husband in Ephesians 5 uh, is called on to do the same thing to, for his wife, to lay down his life for her. Now, he's not, he, he's, he's obeying God on that score. Um, and we're obeying God by laying down our lives for others. But it's, it's the laying down of our life. You know, God calls us to do that for him uh, to, in obedience to him, in, in bowing the knee to him. Okay, um, we, are, we are in a creature-to-creator uh, relationship with God, and for this we're dependent on God's revelation to us. Okay? Now, that's the three things. Uh, so here, he says, uh, we're needy from the beginning, just from the fact that we're creatures, despite the fall, regardless of the fall. Our need for help is part of God's design for us, not a result of the fall. We need truth from the outside to make, uh, outside ourselves to make sense of life. We need God's perspective to interpret the facts of our existence correctly, we're created to be worshipers. Okay?
Okay, so that's, that's cr uh, from the viewpoint of creation. Um, the fall, okay, let's look at Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now we could, of course, we could go on, but we're going to stop at verse 7. Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things in, in Genesis 1, 2, or 3 that are obscure references to things that are clarified later on. So this, who is this crafty serpent? It's Satan, right? That's clarified later on. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that, even, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now there's a lot of consequences that follow, but there's consequences we see in here this much. Two. Uh, why did why did uh, why did Satan ask this question? Did God actually say? You you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Is that even close to what he said? <laughs> okay. Um He's trying to sow the seeds of doubt, okay? And he's already scripture twisting, okay? So in verse 4, what, what did he say? What, what's going on here in verse 4? That's a signal for you all to say something. Well, I take a drink of coffee. It's an absolute challenge to the authority of God's word. Yeah. Okay, right. He's 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 uh we'll get into this later on, but he's interpreting, isn't he? Uh, in a way. I mean it's a direct Let's give it the word. It is. It's a direct lie. It's a direct lie. Okay? Right. Yeah. Now, okay, so look, look at the picture here. I mean, this is, he, he calls this, uh, you know, every, every interaction somebody has with somebody else is there's a moral agenda there. Okay? What's the moral agenda here? Or what's the moral thing that's going on here? Somebody 
is lying. Okay? Somebody is lying. They're lying about death and life. Okay? Okay? And he's, he's, he's challenging God on this score. If they believe Satan, they cannot believe God. They cannot believe God. Okay? And, and I want to just point out, <laughs> I think it's Jesus that says that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Okay? And we see it here. What results, if you say, if you say go ahead and run out in the street in front of that truck, what's going to happen? They're going to die. That's murder, okay? That's what happened here. Murder is in his heart, okay? Um, He takes the facts. They're not necessarily the right facts, unadulterated facts, but they're similar to the, the true facts, and he interprets them, okay? Um... Now, verse 6. So the woman saw the trees, good for food, uh, delight to the eyes. It was to be desired to make one wise. Where'd she get this idea? Okay, okay. that's not a trick question. That's a real question. Where'd she get this idea? What's that? Oh, okay. I, I didn't think of that. But was it? But but did she conclude from the name of the tree that it was desired to gain wisdom? To be desired to gain wisdom. I, I think that's something. That's a layer that's added on to the name of the tree. Okay. Um, well, let's see, was the tree, yeah, knowing good and evil. It, it, that, that's the, the idea um, of wisdom. In fact, she also gets it from, she gets it from Satan. You know, you won't, you won't die. Uh, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, I think that's the most bald uh, discrepancy there, a, a statement that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. If God said... If God said, on the day you eat of it, you'll surely die, is it to be desired for anything at all? Okay. No, of course not. Um, okay, so there's that. And let's, let's just go on now. Um, so what's happened here? You've had God's voice up to now. What do you have now? You, you have another voice, okay, another counselor coming on the scene. Uh, we've just looked at Satan's ways, his methods, his words, okay, and what was in his heart, I believe. Uh, and then our heart's attention is given to another voice, okay, our heart's attention, okay. Okay. Um, 
The reason I asked a while ago is where did she get this view is that we, we can blame a lot of things on Satan, okay? But there's, a, there's, there's kind of a delusion, especially after the fall, but there's a delusion that, uh, this delusion that she talks about, this idea of attaining to Godhead, if you will, okay? Being autonomous. So, in fact, let's go on. Uh, what Satan was selling, what was Satan selling? Autonomous, personal wisdom, okay? Free from God, uh, self-sufficiency, equality with God, okay? Uh, he says, in fact, Satan says, um, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and they were. Uh, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want that, you know. That, that was what Satan was selling. Uh, autonomous personal wisdom. I don't need to depend on God. Let's go on here. Um, the fallen nature. To follow the counsel of the serpent, Adam and Eve will need to deny God and his revelation. Remember, somebody's lying. We, ha- we have to choose, okay? His revelation of himself as their creator and counselor who defines their identity and purpose. Okay, and we could go on. Uh, our men's uh, Bible study yesterday brought out this, that, that, uh, that even today there are other voices that... that Pull us away from the riches of uh, the treasure of the riches of knowledge in Christ, or something. I can't remember how it put it. And then there's Psalm 14 uh, that the fool says there is no God. Okay, you, we're kind of by by our sin and rebellion, we're forced into that position, and it is foolish. You notice, you notice what 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 happened in the garden was foolishness. <laughs> arose out of this situation, okay? Um, they will also need to deny their own na- nature. You know, they can't live successfully outside of their design uh, because, they, again, they, they had to choose who to worship, and they wanted, they, Eve chose herself. Adam chose their self to worship, okay? Okay. Uh, Okay, so let's see. I'm going to skip a couple of things here. Yeah, you might look up that Colossians 2 later on for yourself. But um, this, this alternate system of wisdom, this is a quote from the book, with its new counselor is not neutral. I've already made that point. It carries a clear moral agenda. These voices tempt us because they appeal to one sinful, deluded desire first felt in the garden. To be out on our own, to have it our way, to answer only to ourselves, and especially to find life somewhere other than at the feet of the Creator. Okay? Eve is rising up off of her knee. 
if you will. Adam rises off of his knee bowed to God. Uh, he has an interlude here where he has a, a, several, a list of several things, but I'm just going to throw a couple of them out to you. The implications for um, the minis- your ministry, even for yourself, uh, um, from this story. The voices of the world appeal, appeal to a core delusion in sinful hearts, the desire to be God, able to understand and live life on our own, Okay, and the counter that to that is we need people in our lives who love us enough to call us back to a life with God at the center. Okay, we're going to find out more about this in a minute. Um, also, he says, uh, and I've kind of interjected some uh, letters in there to show how they line up with the the re- uh, revelation receiver, interpreter, worshiper. We need the words of Scripture, uh, of God in Scripture, to make sense out of life. We need to listen for the one reliable voice of the Creator. Who else is it going to be besides the Creator? You know? Okay. His word alone can cut through the confusion of the world's philosophy and our own foolishness to make us truly wise. Real knowledge begins with knowing Him. We hear an echo of that in Proverbs 1, don't we? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the fruit of worship, and it's received on bended knee. It's the product of a life lived in submission to the one who is wisdom, Christ. Christ is our wisdom. I can't remember what letter Paul has that in, but... Okay. Now, that's, okay, so far it's uh, creation, fall. Next is redemption. Our nature as God's redeemed. Okay. Uh, We have God's word, God's spirit. In fact, the spirit uh, gives us understanding of his word, doesn't it? Okay. Okay. Why do we need each other in our lives? And I'd say that the primary reason is because Scripture says we need other believers. And let's go on to open up uh, Hebrews 3. Okay. And by the way, uh, I mean, some of these other scriptures, Roman, the Romans 6 passage indicates that, that, that there's still this struggle with sin that we have to be in, join, we have to join the battle on, okay? Um, and there's a spiritual blindness. Matthew 7 talks about our spiritual blindness. Uh, there's other passages, too, that talk about that. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Um, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ... 
And by the way, that's repeated from above earlier in the chapter. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Okay. And then it goes on to talk about in, with songs, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, okay, which is, is one way of doing that. Okay. Um, who's addr- in, in Hebrews 3, who's addressed? Who's it about? Who's addressed in Hebrews 12? Uh, Hebrews 3, 12. Take care for others, okay? So he's not saying, you know, there's... He's not talking about what's going on with unbelievers. He's talking about what's going on with believers. Um, what's the warning? And what's the content of the warning? It's watch out for evil and an evil unbelieving heart. Okay, now that's going to be hard. <laughs> we we don't know each other's hearts. Okay, but there's fruit out of those hearts. Okay, so he's saying, uh, watch out for the evil unbelieving heart. Okay. Um, what what's the calling and what's the action? Say again. Okay. Exhort one another, but before that, take care. Take care. Okay. Uh, And exhort one another. How often? (laughs) Every day, as long as it's called today. When is it not called today? Okay. I mean, there'll there'll come a time, perhaps. But, okay, so so what is this saying is one source, not, not all sources, but what's one source of, of uh, personal insight on me? What's one source of insight for me on me? What does this say? One source is you. You have input on my life, is what this is saying. In your exhortation to me, okay? In your watching and caring for me, and, and I for you, okay? That's part of the body life. So do we need, <laughs> do we need help? Yeah. Do we need the help of other believers? This is what this is saying. Um, there's more, there's more to that, but this is a great passage for, to study the context all the way to the, all the way into chapter 4 and 13 is the section that begins here. Okay, um, now he, he describes here a process that he says he's seen as a counselor. Uh, oh, wait, did I miss something? Oh, yeah, a process. Uh, of and he re, kind of reorders the order of this this scripture, but there's there's a giving into sinful desires, 
in, in maybe in little ways, things that you kind of justify in your mind, okay? But they have to be understood and, and t- given the name that, that, that they, what they really are. It's, it's really sin, okay? Check our desires, check our loves, and, and take, t- take the helm, if you will, with God. God's working in you to both willing to do his good pleasure, Philippians 2, I think, okay? Um, there's subtle patterns of unbelief. We kind of have to, you know, we, we, we start seeing, we're, we're going to be feeling guilt over some of these things. So we got to, again, it's another point of choice. We're choosing this or we're choosing that. We can't have it both ways, Okay. So there's some unbelief going on. I think uh, James says the same thing in chapter 1. There's a backing away from the authority of Scripture. You know, we can't, <laughs> we can't justify what's going on. So, so we kind of back away from it. It doesn't really mean that. It, what happened in, ch- in chapter 3 of Genesis? Okay. Did God really say? Hath God said? <laughs> That's how the King James put it, puts it. And this, this leads to a hardening of the heart. Okay. Now, th- this person is in free fall in one way. I mean, I don't want to say it's inevitable because it's not. We have this passage to say that it's not inevitable that he's in free fall. Okay, somebody has, somebody has to step in and catch him at the right point. Okay, now he has a great illustration in here of that. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, we, we're acquainted with it, aren't we? We're acquainted with what happens here. Um, there's a failing to understand the power of affections, uh, transfer of affections, alienation of affections. And that's not strict, not only in our, our marriage relationship, but there's, you know, it's our transfer of affections away from God. Lies, we have to deceive others, ourselves. Sin is deceptive, it says. There's self-justification, scripture twisting, denial of scripture. He uses the idea of a boat adrift. What happens to a boat adrift? Even a big boat. You know, I've heard of stories of, you know, a boat that um, a big uh, a military boat ship that, that um, could not use its, its uh, propellant, propeller, okay? It was shot or something. And this big boat in a storm went belly up, okay, just because it was adrift. Insensitivity to God's word and spirit, okay, because we're denying what we hear. So there's an insensitivity. Okay, so uh, our need as redeemed people of God. The need for truth outside ourselves to live life properly. Echo, echo, is there an echo in here that keeps coming up? Many interpretive voices compete with God's word for our heart's attention. 
okay, the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? While the power of sin is broken, the blinding presence of sin remains. We need to live in humble, honest community with saints. Now, this is going to look differently in different cultures. Some of this will be come across kind of hard in, in our Texan culture, <laughs> you know, the Alamo, independence, you know, okay? Some of this, this is going to look different, but we need to say, what does our culture look like, and it, can we improve in this, this area? I, uh, this is kind of a wrap-up, but there's a, there's a definition I heard and I've kind of enhanced it a bit, but uh, of counseling, Christian counseling. This is from a biblical Christian counselor. Counseling is a long-term, ongoing conversation informed by wisdom from the right source. We've got to be careful about that. And, and we all just in our ordinary, you know, later on, you guys are going to gather in your little groups and ones and twos, I mean twos and threes, and, and talk, and you're communicating things. What are you communicating? Think about, think about it for a moment, okay, at that time, <laughs> okay? Um, it, there's nothing wrong with casual conversations, but casual conversations are not ca- completely casual, okay? There's always something communicated. Let me walk you through something here. First, this is my summary of the gospel. It may not be complete. It may not, you can come up and tell me afterwards. It's not accurate. Tell me now if you think it's not accurate. But there's two things that we want to kind of hold in mind when we're talking to people regarding the gospel. Things in the world and in me are not as they should be, and they're fatally broken. Now, part of the process of people coming to Christ is, is, is acknowledging that, okay? So, so that's the first point. of the, the bad news is the first point of the good news, okay? But it's got to be that way, doesn't it? Okay, the second thing, God has worked and is working in Christ to make all things right. The, the, the scripture's full of that. And, and all things new in the world and in me. And he's going to consummate that, but he's doing it now. Okay? Okay, now, having said that, li- listen to this. This is what I've learned from, from Genesis. One thing, uh, it's not all of it, but it's one thing I've learned from our study in Genesis, uh, from looking at these individual lives that Genesis talks about. Okay? God has a vision of our completed and perfected self. He's talking, I'm talking to believers here, of our wholeness. And that picture is Christ himself. God is moving us progressively toward the goal of being recreated in the image of Christ and will one day bring that to completion. But it's happening now. I mean, the scripture, again, is full of that. Titus 2, uh, um, Philippians 2, uh, there's others, okay? 
as he does this work, this is maybe the most important part of this. God holds up Christ before us so that we may grow more and more to love Christ and thus to love God's vision for us. Okay? You know, how does God do the first two sentences? He does, does he get out the whip and crack it, get in line, get in line? No, he holds up Christ before us. So we can love Christ and love the image that he's moving us toward. Okay? Going on, this is how we must see other believers. Okay? We must hold up Christ before others. Colossians 3.16. Okay? To help them grow more and more to love Christ and thus to love God's vision for themselves. And we, we live in an age when people want to create, they have, a vi- they have their own vision for themselves, okay? And it's leading to all kinds of disaster, deepening the disaster, making it more personal in individual lives, okay? Uh, and so we want to hold up Christ before them and God's vision for them and, and to participate with God in moving toward that. Okay? The good news, there's no test. We don't have time for the test. So, But we also don't have time for questions, and I'm really sorry about that. However, oh, I am, I am. I mean, the worst that can happen is I, I'll just say, I, I don't know. And hopefully I say it at the right point. I want to close with a passage from Isaiah 55. And, and by, kind of by way of a prayer. Um, and a scripture reading together. This is God's word to us, okay, about his word. For, for as, the snow, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let that sink in, guys. God's good word for you will will be successful. And it'll accomplish what he purposes. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. We find that in Romans 8 about nature. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, remember where the briar comes from? 
Genesis 3. Weeds, thorns, shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, for the Lord, not for you, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thank you.